Hey guys, what's going on? This is my 2023 end of the year podcast. I'm going to be going over the most important moments and ideas from the past year. I'm also going to explore what's next and what changes are taking place in 2024. I'll dive into my year end review process, some of the big takeaways and things I look to extract out of that. And then I'm going to answer some of your questions and also stick around for the end. I'm going to share one of my most popular chapters from one of my books, Masterpiece in Progress, A Daily Guide to a Life Well Crafted. So let's first just explore what's ahead in 2024. So this podcast has been around for seven plus years. There's been over 350 conversations, and there has been so much evergreen and timeless wisdom that unfortunately, I think in a podcast medium gets overlooked. You listen to the podcast one week, and then you forget about it. Where there are so many amazing lessons in some of the past episodes, I'm going to be bringing back some of the greatest conversations that we've had on this podcast over the last seven years, and that way we can kind of just dive back into some of the key and timeless ideas. So that's something I'm really excited to do, and that's going to be done with the classic series. And even if you listen to a podcast a few years ago, like Lao Tzu said, we never step into the same river twice, so you might be understanding and seeing things in a completely different light when you listen to it this time. So I'm excited to share some of those with you. All right, so I was asked, moments that have most moved you from the past year on the podcast, I think my first thought is going to go to Derek Sivers and his response to my question, if you could interview anyone dead or alive, who would it be? And he said the person he'd most want to spend an evening talking with was his son. I mean, as a dad, I almost broke down crying right there. I mean, I'm someone who is and loves the intellectual pursuit of knowledge and continual growth. And this answer instantly clarified for me. The most important work I'll ever do and how I show up is how I'm going to show up for my loved ones. So the answer, I think, changed how I approach my time with my kids and the meaning I give to that time. It also makes me think of the great orchestra conductor, Benjamin Zander, who's a past guest. And he said, you know how you're doing as a leader if you look into the eyes of the people you're leading and if they're shining or not. And if they're not shining, you get to ask the question who do I need to be so that the eyes are shining in the people that I care most about? And that's a question for all of us uh, as leaders, as spouses, as parents. Are we making the eyes shine in the other people in our life? And so that's something I think I'm going to be exploring deeply and I've already thought a lot about. Another one of the more impactful moments on the podcast from this past year was with my friend and former lacrosse teammate, uh, Michael Burns. Mike and I played lacrosse at UNC. We actually played multiple times growing up. We were on the same travel teams. And after UNC, Mike went on to become a, a Navy SEAL. He actually was honored with a Bronze Star Medal for Valor, just one of the many awards Mike won in the times uh, in the time that he was serving. And he brings up one of his Navy SEAL commanders, and he was talking about this guy has been a SEAL for 20-plus years. And when he goes out to the shooting range, meaning when he is going to go practice his craft, the first thing he does is the most basic fundamental moves they teach you day one being a Navy SEAL. Mike said, this guy has been doing this for over 20 years. He has fired over a million rounds in his life. And every single time he goes out to the shooting range, he loads his gun the exact same way. He practices the same basic fundamental scans. And then he shoots and he recalibrates. Think about that. Think about someone who is so good at their craft. They've shot a million plus times. They've been doing it for 20 years and they still go back to the basics. I think that is a really important lesson we can all resonate on. That strength gets built on top of strength and that strength 
is originally built on the fundamentals, and we can never escape the importance and the necessity of practicing the fundamentals. So those were two big moments that stuck at, stuck, stood out on the podcast in this past year. Another question, what changes are you making personally going into 2024? Uh, I think this is a beautiful question to explore the changes you're making. Um, so for me, I want to be more intentional about what I do and how I show up for it. So for me, less is more. I want to go deeper on what matters and just completely ignore the rest. See, I was bringing too much onto my plate that felt like it was important, right? But when I looked deeply, I realized it was minor importance and not deep importance. And there's a big difference there. So this year, I'm bringing a maniacal focus on my craft, which is coaching, writing, and deepening my relationships with my loved ones, right? Like how do I make their eyes shine and just go full in on that, full throttle all the time. And if it doesn't fall into one of those buckets, then I just have to say no. And I want to be really, really, really freaking good at the few things that I focus on. And I've realized that in order for me to not only become good at something, but also to develop a deep love for it, I need to fully immerse myself into it. And there are a very limited number of things we can immerse ourselves into at one time. And so by default, we need to remove a lot of things. And so those are some of the, the key changes is about less is more because I want to, I want to really refuse the kind of shiny objects to focus on the important diamonds that matter most. Now this requires deep introspection. Uh, I had to go really deep to get clarity on this, but if you don't stick with that process of, of looking inward, you're never going to uncover this. And you discover some uncomfortable truths in there, some things that you realize you put a lot of time into, but in hindsight, wasn't worth it. And so you actually are saying to yourself, you know what? I was wrong in this. This wasn't correct. I need to do things differently. And that's hard, but you got to look deep in order to do that. So it's my recommendation that you look inward. You uncover what you're putting your attention on and what matters most to you. So you also want to reassess as the year goes on. So I'm starting off the year. I've got some pretty clear buckets on what I'm concentrating on. But as time goes on, I change, I evolve, the circumstances, the situations change. And sometimes we need to tweak that process and evolve. So, so just be aware of that. And, and this really is a, a letting go and a saying no process. Now, for me personally, one of the things that you've probably noticed is the cadence of the podcast got scaled down towards the end of 2023 and also my Momentum Monday newsletter. Now, these are things that I love. But I realized if I wanted to go extremely far and deep in my craft and bring you guys more value, those things were nice to have, but they were taking away from the work that I could really do going deep. An example of this is the book Masterpiece in Progress. That doesn't happen unless I scale back the, the cadence of the podcast and also Momentum Monday. So you can think about that in your own life. What are the things that that require your deep focus, attention, and need and what things do you need to remove in order to be able to free up the time, the focus, and the energy to go into those things? And, and for me, I, I talk about the clarity element. One of the best tools I use for this is my annual, annual review. And I put it, an annual re review together each year, and I tweak it. So 2023 is going to be different than 2024. 2022 is different. Uh, because I think each, each year we, we need to tweak the process. And, and my annual review is an intensive process where I block off a few hours to stay fully focused on it. Now, most people don't do this. So instead of spending a couple hours doing something that will positively shape and change the trajectory of their year, they avoid it. 
and then they spend their entire year off track. So don't make that mistake. Really carve out a few hours at the end of the year so you can dive deep into your own annual review, whether you use my process, which will be linked up in the show notes, or you use your own. Go deep, explore your inner world. So my process, and like I said, I'll share in the show notes at the end of this, uh, I'll share my 2022 version. That's a a publicly available one. And over 11,000 people have participated in this annual review. So block off two hours, no interruptions. And, And I don't care if you have to pull a Charlie Munger and bill yourself back the time for it, just do it. Another thing I've found extremely helpful when working with my clients and do this myself is the night before you're gonna sit down and do your review, just before going to bed or at the end of the workday, Review the questions, review the questions you're going to explore in the annual review and let your subconscious mind go to work overnight. So in my, in in our reviews, I want to get a better understanding of my big buckets in life. What's most important and uncover, am I putting my attention on those things? And if not, how do I better design my system to make those a priority? Now, for those who've been active participants in my review, you notice that I tend to ask similar questions because I want patterns to emerge. And I think what ends up happening, even at a subconscious level, if we get asked similar questions, we we start attacking them different ways. And then at the end of it, what we realize is the answers that come out are really focused on just a handful of things. It's like we know the changes we need to make. We know the things that are most important, but sometimes they're just underneath the surface. And I just uncovered that having some similar questions really reveal these patterns. And I mean, that's been found doing this in, in with hundreds of people one-on-one. And I usually find that there are less than three things you know you need to work on. And these questions bring these to the surface um, in, a, in a way that's almost undeniable. You can't finish this review and say, you know what? I don't have anything I need, I need to work on. If you're true with yourself, you go deep enough, they're going to be undeniable. Uh, it's always important to understand what works. Like I was saying before, strength get, gets built on top of strength. So what you need to do is you need to understand the best practices and the people that really propel your life forward and making a never-ending upward spiral of ascension. Uh, one of my favorite phrases, excelsior, which means ever upward. And that's what we're trying to do. That doesn't mean there's not failure and there's stumbles. These are continual evolutions upward. And what we want to do is keep going up and up and up. We stumble, we fail, we learn, we grow, we evolve and keep going. Uh, Another thing with, with annual reviews or any type of this deep work that you do, if you're in a serious relationship, share this with your significant other. So many of the misalignments we have with people close to us is because we don't open up the channels of communication and let them know about what's going on with us. So bring that significant other in for this. Let them do it too, then make an evening of it. So what you want to do is make it fun, right? Like pop the champagne, light some candles, get some great food, and dive deep on this and really disentangle and get closer to the core of each of you and then allow those roots that you are wanting to grow together to actually grow and fuse together. That's going to be key. Another thing I do in my annual review is I pick a word or a phrase of the year. So one word or phrase that is going to set the direction for the entire year. Now, this is something I've been doing for years. I found this extremely helpful just as a way to center my mind back to what matters and what is really crucial for me this year. So last year, my phrase was all in. I wanted to go all freaking in on some things in life. And the result is is the two books. I realized there are certain things I need to go all in on. That was one of them. This year, it's deepening. I want to deepen my relationships with the people that matter most, deepen, deepen the pursuit of mastery of my craft of coaching, deepen inward and expand outward. 
That is what this year is all about. And everything I do this year, I'm going to try to bring an intentionality of deepening to uncover those small morsels that can only be found with this type of approach. So what is your word or phrase that is going to set a direction for your entire year? Another thing I do is a yearly challenge. And this is something, when I say a yearly challenge, for me, this needs to take place every single day. 365 opportunities to grow. So last year, and I don't want you guys to (laughs) jump at the number here. It's about choosing something that works for you. So last year, I wanted to do 100,000 push-ups. And so what I did is I gave myself 100,000 opportunities to make an excuse and not do something and build a muscle, not only in my actual muscles, but in my mind. And so what I did is I set out and I said, okay, what is a good number of push-ups to do per set that is challenging, but I, I can definitely do them pretty easily every single time. And I came to the number 25. And so what I need to do is I need to do 12 sets of 25 push-ups throughout the day. And if I do that, that equals 300 push-ups per day. That means each day there were 300 opportunities for me to succumb to my lesser self and say, no, I'm too tired. I'm too exhausted. I don't want to do this. But let's look at the other way. I gave myself 300 opportunities to show up as a better better version of myself. And the times that are most important to show up were the times when I didn't feel like it. When I was tired, I was exhausted. I had so much going on. And what I found is always those initial reps, which are harder. And so this is really crucial for me. So I loved doing that. This was the first time I can remember doing an activity like this. And I just thought there were so many incredible benefits. For, forget the, the health benefits. It's all about the, the mental work here. So this year, I'm setting out to do 37,000 pull-ups. Once again, forget the numbers. The numbers are irrelevant. What you want to do is select something something in, in your, not in, just outside your comfort zone. And so maybe it's doing 45 air squats throughout the day that you're breaking up into a number of different sets. Pick something that is uncomfortable. It tests you. It's going to be challenging mentally to stick to. So this year is 37,000 pull-ups. So what I did is I bought a pull-up bar for my office doorway. So each time I get up to go to the bathroom or I just get up to leave the office, I do a set of eight. So I'm doing 13 sets of eight a day, 104 push-ups per day times 365 day, 37,960 beautiful moments for me to get closer to who I want to be. And like I said, it's about doing it on the days where I don't want to, because that is when I grow the most. So for you, pause, reflect, what's your yearly challenge that requires effort every single day? All right, here we go. Another question. What have you found to be the most impactful things you've implemented in your life? Uh, That yearly challenge is one of them. Another thing is I'll start off by saying, that the most important things is removing the things that are taking away from the most impactful things. So what are the routines? What are the factors? Who are the people who drain you, who put you into a bad pattern of thought? You need to become a detective. You want to be Sherlock Holmes in exploring yourself and unearthing these. Then uncover the handful, and it is always just a handful. It is not dozens of things or people who drive the majority of emotional well-being and positive outcomes in your life. It is just a few. And so once you go detective on yourself and uncover these, you need to make these non-negotiables. Like for me, those push-ups, it was a non-negotiable. I was doing that every single day. It was not, "Ah, do I feel like it? Nope, I'm doing this every single day. 
Make those non-negotiable. Not sometimes and nice to have, but always and mandatory. And so for me, some of the most impactful things implemented in my life are interrupted, deep focus time in the morning. For me, there are incredible benefits if I can get two hours extremely early. This is before anyone else is awake. That is when my mind works best. That is when I don't have distractions and interruptions. And what you're going to have is those naysayers who listen to this and they say it's impossible. And no one has the time to do that. And I'm not saying that's what you need. I'm not saying you need two hours. What I'm saying is this works for me, and I've spent the last 15 years designing my life to cultivate this condition. You need to find what works for you and then make that happen. So maybe it's 10 minutes in the morning or or 30 minutes, or maybe you're an evening person. What it is is figuring out what works for you. Find out when your mind is at play, when you're most relaxed, and take control of your schedule. What you want to avoid, and this is where I see the biggest hiccup. Most people look for ideal morning routines and stuff like this. I think one of the major themes of people with morning routines is they wake up and they are not reactive. What I mean by that is they don't wake up, five minutes later they're grabbing their coffee, five minutes later they're in the shower, and ten minutes later they're out the door and they're scrambling into traffic, and their cortisol level is spiked. They win their day because they control their morning. They build in deep times of focus or connection to themselves or times to think about the day to set an intention. All of those little things play a major factor. For me, this is one of the most important things I've uncovered and implemented into my life. Uh, someone I think about often, actually, with the importance of this is His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And, and he was asked about the most important thing he does the entire day. And he says it's the hour he spends in his meditation room reflecting. He said this is the most important part of his day. Think about for that for a second. This is one of the most important and busy spiritual leaders in the entire world. And not only does he schedule it, but he said it is the most important thing he does during the day. It is so important. He actually calls it sacred time. Imagine how you would approach a space and time when you view it in your bones as sacred time. So what is your sacred time? Find it, protect it, give yourself fully to it. Another thing, and and these are very obvious things I'm covering because once again, it's back to the basics. Physical movement, uh, as I revealed in my podcast with Tom Morgan, I do my workouts in the dark uh, because my mind needs to be fully present and focus on the depth of what I'm doing and where I'm trying to go. So it's just a removal of distractions. One of the things I, I like to think about with this is Arnold Schwarzenegger said, one rep done with 100% focus and effort is better than 10 going through the motions. So moving the body allows my mind to become still and allows me to have the engine, uh, the engine with the capacity to do the work that I want to do. That requires actual work. It requires uh, or it feeds into the actual work I do the play I want to be able to have with my children, with myself, love, all of those things need a high motor and high engine. And that's why physical activity is crucial for me. So the final thing I will say, and this could be one of the most important and overlooked is minimum one hour a week in person or on a call with a person that you go deep into yourself with. This is is what I do as a coach. And I can say with a decade plus experience, the majority of people I come across don't have a space nor a person that they can open up, become truly vulnerable, and work through the inevitable challenges and obstacles we face in our lives. Let me say that again. After doing this for over a decade, I will say that the majority of people I come across have no one in their life or no space they can go into where they can open up, become truly vulnerable, work through the challenges and obstacles that are inevitable in our life. Now, having someone to do this with 
has single-handedly become one of the most important parts of my life. It creates a bridge for vulnerability, to go deep, to explore your inner world, to wrestle with ideas that most of the time we leave trapped inside. And it's like trying to hold a beach ball underneath water. That ball, we can push and push and push, but at some point it is going to burst up, much like the emotions, the feelings, all of these things we block inside. Having someone in your life to do this is like releasing the tension on that ball where it slowly fizzles up to the surface and there's not so much tension and pressure. So if you're listening, that's resonating, you're interested working one-on-one and you're listening to the podcast for this long, we're 20 minutes in, shoot me an email, sean, S-E-A-N, at whatgotyouthere.com. Be more than happy to talk with you. All right, next question. Most impactful ideas from your book, Masterpiece in Progress. As you can see, I selected the questions to answer. A lot of these are big ideas. Let's focus on the big ideas. When we do that, the small ideas take care of themselves. So I love exploring big ideas, but just think for a minute. The, the number of minor ideas I had to eliminate to get to the key ideas for my book, Masterpiece in Progress. Now, in order for me to be able to write this book, I say it took a decade. I've had 350 conversations that were an hour long for this podcast with absolute game changers and titans of industry. I've read hundreds of books over the years, and I've spent thousands of hours coaching people one-on-one. And compiling this book, I said, you know what? All of the things and experiences in my head, these ideas are really freaking important. I say that because if you haven't picked up the book yet, pick it up. This is my life's work to date. The most important things I've ever uncovered, the most essential ideas, mindsets, and practices are in that book. So let's dive into the biggest barrier to actually implementation. And the only barrier to our growth is our willingness and readiness, right? You you can have an amazing teacher and they can show you the door, but you need to walk through the door. And once you commit and take full responsibility, everything else in your life changes. I do not say that statement lightly. Once you commit and you take full responsibility, everything else in your life changes. The narrative shifts, the internal locus of control gets activated, and you are no longer a passive observer in your life, but you are the driver. And you need to make this shift because everything else cascades off of this. So the ideas that move me deeply and hopefully will move you if you're committed and and taking the responsibility like we just said is the idea that this is not a rehearsal. We get one shot at this life. So what are you waiting for? There is never a perfect moment. There will always be times of challenges and struggle, but you can make a choice to leap into the unknown and finally start living. Stop waiting. Like I said, this is not a rehearsal. This is the championship for all the morals. This is your life. It's live and it's happening right freaking now. So chase after those experiences, learn, grow, find things that tug at your heart and make a life of it. That is my wish for you. That is what I want people to feel in their bones when they read this book, that I get one shot at this and I am going to give it my all. Uh, the, The Japanese philosopher Suzuki said, I am an artist at living and my work of art is my life. Every day, all of us have the opportunity to paint a picture of what that life is going to be. Why would you not try to craft the best masterpiece you are capable of in this present moment? And then you do that, and guess what? Your ability to paint a picture becomes more in the next moment. That is that never, ever ending ascension upwards. You step up and show up at a, as a better version of yourself in this moment, and it gives you new opportunities in the next.
So go first. So many people today, they wait for others to do it. They, they don't want to step out into the unknown. They don't want to be the first to, to say hi, to do something kind, to do something nice, to be the change they want to see in the world. So this is a call to action. Go first, be the change you want to see, have fun, mess up, laugh more than necessary, become a beginner again, then work so hard you become an expert. Find the people who light up your soul. Make the eyes shine of the people in your life who matter. I brought up Benjamin Zander before, so I'll do it again. And, and he shares a story uh, that I shared in the book. And it's a story that is inscribed on one of the pillars of the Holocaust Memorial in Boston. Now, inscribed on this pillar is a story of two girls, Elsa and Gerda. Now, Elsa was six, and she was living in the hell, the hellhole of Auschwitz. Now, one day, Elsa found one of the rarest of rare treats you could imagine in a concentration camp. She found one single raspberry. Think of the bleakness and dark gray world she lives in, and there is a vibrant red raspberry. Imagine the treat, you know, just so delectable, she could only dream of the sweetness that she was going to experience when she bit into that. But what did Elsa do? Did she throw it into her mouth right away? No. She carried around this single raspberry all day, protecting it the way you protect your most precious and important possession. And then that evening, she gifted it to her friend Gerda. Imagine a world, Gerda writes, in which your entire possession is one raspberry and you gift it to a friend. If that doesn't send chills down your body and get you choked up emotionally, then I don't think you're listening to the the words that were just said. Imagine that. Imagine in the bleakness and darkness, you protect that single raspberry, something that could be so enjoyable for you your entire possession, and you gift it to a friend. I want that to live in your bones, and I want that to be the focus for you as you move forward through today and tomorrow and the next day. When we show up in the world with a kindness, compassion, and consideration like that, imagine the impact each one of us individually would have. So those are some of the ideas that that really stick with me from the book. Obviously, the book's written with 365 unique passages, so there are a number of different big ideas from it, so I really do hope you pick it up. And at the end of this conversation, what I'll actually do is I'll share one of the chapters that I've gotten the most number of comments from and reactions of people who said it really impacted them. So you can head to masterpieceandprogressbook.com or just search Amazon or your favorite retailer to find it. All right, another question. What are the ideas you spend a lot of time reflecting on? All right, like I, like I said multiple times, less is more, which is one of the major themes for me of this book, the 80-20 principle, but more importantly than that, the 80-20 of the 80-20. What are the 20% of things that drive 80% of the results? Then I want to find the 20% of those things that drive 80% of the results, the 80-20 of the 80-20. This is something I continually think about and I'm searching for. This comes down to simplification. Once again, there are a handful of opportunities, of people, of things in life that truly matter. For me, it is my job to find those things and concentrate all of my effort on those. Another one, uh, let's go Let's go with the, uh, the first no- noble truth of Buddhism here. Life is suffering. Life is hard. It's our resistance to that that ends up causing so much of our pain. We always want things to be easier. 
We want things to happen faster. We don't want the pain. And believe me, I, I fall directly into this camp. I always want things to be easier, faster, and I don't want the pain. And then we tell ourselves a story that they shouldn't be hard. And that story we tell ourselves that shouldn't that things shouldn't be hard is arguably one of the greatest obstacles to our satisfaction in life. You have to know that life will be challenging. When you do that, you can allocate your energy to things that help instead of dissipating all of your energy fighting the fact. Think about how your life changes when instead of complaining constantly uh, about the challenges you're facing, you say, all right, let's go, bring it on. It's a totally different perspective and shift of mind that really can change your life. Another one of the ideas I spend the most time reflecting on, relationships are everything. People are a power law. Once again, there are a handful of people who truly matter. They deserve our kindness. They deserve what Elsa did for Gerda. They deserve our deep presence, our love. And we can't spread ourselves so thinly with 50 different, quote unquote, important relationships. There's a handful. Kevin Kelly has a great line. He says, find the 12 people in the world who love you most because they are more important than 12 million. So that's really important. Think about the people who matter most to you and give them your all. Next, I would say is focus. And this is a, a simple word, but man, is there depth to this word. And to be honest with you, I thought I knew what true deep focus was. And I realized this year I wasn't even scratching the freaking surface on that. And I discovered that through the process of writing my first book, Masterpiece in Pro Progress. And what I realized is what it means to to fully block off and spend your entire day and therefore weeks focusing on something. And what happens? There is a shift. Your mind ignites like you cannot imagine. And it opens up like you've never imagined. And I finally came to to touch this experience. And what I did was I literally just blocked off everything or, or knocked off everything from my calendar. And it was 100% focused on on the writing process and the most important ideas. And the most powerful complex device on our planet is the human mind. And when we channel that, when we focus, it unlocks and unleashes a capability that is remarkable. That requires deep focus, that requires intentionality. So for me, that was something that really came to the surface this year, even when I thought I had a deep understanding of what focus meant. Another one I would say is, is that you have to go through it to get to it. Right? like We want the lesson without the struggle of going through it, but life doesn't work that way. We always want the lesson first. It just doesn't happen. You can read all you want in books, but until you experience something, you don't really know. You can fool yourself, and I've done this plenty of times, but until you experience it, you don't really know. True learning, true learning, the kind that shapes the soul and molds the heart, doesn't happen at the intellectual level. It asks for deeper engagement, a venture beneath the surface. It's why pain is a great revealer of truth. Pain provides clarity like ease cannot because pain hits us below the surface, right? At that emotional level. In order to learn, in order to grow, you have to do what John O'Donohue said so eloquently. He said, may you have the wisdom to enter into your own unease. May you have the wisdom to enter into your own unease. That's what that yearly review is like. That's what it's about, the wisdom and the courage to enter into that unease. You need to explore deeply to do that. Another thing, and this is a crucial one. I wish more people would implement this. 
find a forcing function that catapults you towards the person you want to become. And so what I mean by that is you want to find something that in order to do that or be a part of that, you are automatically taking actions that embody who you want to become or what you want to achieve. And so I, I brought up the focus and intentionality in writing the book. And I, I know I'm talking a lot about this, but it's just, it, it, it's what required the most energy for me this last year. So it, it continually top of mind. There were a lot of great lessons in it. And if you want to know why I was able to execute the book and finish it at a speed and intensity that I've never accomplished anything on before, it was because I wanted to surprise my parents when they were on a visit to come to my house down here in Florida. Literally, that was it. That is what narrowly focused my attention so much is I knew I was on a tight deadline. And all of a sudden, because of that, this small little self-imposed timeline, it changed and channeled everything in my life into this one thing. So ask yourself, who do you want to become? What is a forcing function you can implement to push you closer to that? So let's use some easy examples. You want to get in better shape, sign up for a marathon. You want to start learning faster, join a book club, create a monthly masterclass on YouTube where you start talking about a topic. You want to develop your knowledge once again, start a podcast. That is what I did eight years ago. I said, you know what? I want to sit down with people that I deeply admire and have a lot to teach me. And I'm going to spend an hour with them each week. That is going to be my MBA. So you are the only obstacle to this. Figure out what you want, who you want to become, and then think of the environment that you can put yourself into to develop those skills. Um, uh, another one is just that that deep presence. This ties into two of them. This ties into the relationships. This ties into focus. Our deep presence is often the greatest gift we can give someone. Let me say that again. Our deep presence is often the greatest gift we can give someone to be there fully, to listen, to truly listen, and put them as the focal point of our attention. So your next sit down with someone, enter it with the intention that you're going to bring your deepest level of presence imaginable to it and see how this transforms your interaction. The next is passion and bliss. One thing I have always done, and this is harder and harder when we are being told by everyone else to follow the known path, to do what everyone else has done. This is passion and bliss. Mark Andreessen said, we don't choose our passions, our passions choose us. And the idea of following your passion, following your bliss is becoming more and more apparent to me that it's one of the most critical elements to a life well-crafted. Let me say that again. The idea of following your passions or your bliss, it is becoming more and more apparent to me that it is one of the most crucial elements to a life well-crafted. One of the quotes I love from my friend Tom Morgan, he says, the real superpower is living a life where what's blissful for you and beneficial for the world gradually becomes the same thing. What is that thing you do that brings you deep gladness and how is that beneficial for the world? That is the people who sustain excellence for a long period of time. What they love to do, it's like, it's like the doctor who practices for 50 years. They just can't get enough. What they do is joy for them. You know, the Warren Buffett book, Tap Dancing to Work. Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, he was and they were tap dancing to work every day. Another thing Tom Morgan said, he said that the most after the most painful moment in his life, he said exploring these unseen forces that grip 
and direct your attention has become the cornerstone of my life ever since. Those unseen forces that grip and direct your attention, those small whispers in your heart, you can feel them internally. Those little nudges inside that say, oh, this is what I love to do. You need to listen to those unseen forces that grip and direct your attention. That is where your bliss is. That is where your curiosity is. That is where your deep joy. And you need to find these things, the things that magnify and ignite your spirit. So how do you uncover what's blissful? Well, you need, you need to try many things, of course. It is very rare, and people do it though, where they try one thing and boom, instant connection. So you need to try many things most likely. Another thing, solitude and silence to listen to those subtle whispers. If we are constantly go, go, go and moving too fast, we never give ourselves the space, the solitude, the silence to listen to those whispers. That's crucial. And then finally, what I was saying at the beginning, everyone's directing us a different way. You need the courage to act on it and enter into the unknown. I am not saying that is easy. Most of the time, following your bliss, following your passion is actually the harder route. It is easier to follow the path of least resistance, but you need to have the courage to act on it. And I can assure you when you do that, that is when your life starts to light up. The final one I will hit on, and I think this ties into pretty much everything we talk about is the invisible. And Antoine de Saint-Exupéry said, it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. All of the things we've been talking about, they're invisible. They're beneath the surface, but it's our job to go beneath the surface, to find those invisible things and really spend our time, our energy, our focus in working with them, figuring them out, and then allocating our resources in life to make those best things come to fruition. So those best things, the relationships, our passions, the joy, that's what matters. All right, let's see what else we've got. Um, Close this off. It looks like people were under... Uh, wondering some books that I've read this year. I, I scaled back my reading a tremendous about because everything I was doing was working with my clients and then um, what I was doing in terms of writing the book. So it was more about pulling out and distilling the, the ideas that I've had in my head in a while. I'll give you a few though. Endurance by Alfred Lansing, the book about Ernest Shackleton, the captain uh, of the ship Endurance, one of the most amazing stories you will ever read. That book had me gripped. I literally could not put that thing down and I had already read it before. Endurance by Alfred Lansing, absolutely amazing. The next thing I would say is The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. Uh, He's a legendary music producer, and a line he has in that that I love. This is an amazing book, not just into creativity. Well, yes, it is into creativity and thinking about being the artist of your own life. Everything is a creative act. This book can help you live more deeply and fully. And something he said that I love, he said, however you frame yourself as an artist, the frame is too small. Let's apply that to our own life. When we put limits on ourselves, those limits are too small. There is always more. Open those limits up. The next, uh, this is a book I've just been entrenched with, is John O'Donohue's uh, Anamkara. And Anamkara is, the, the meaning of that term is soul friend and the beauty and book or the beauty of this book is just tremendous. I highly recommend it. I would not start with this book if you're if you're earlier on in your journey. I don't know if this will speak to you, uh, but if you've gone super deep on deep on yourself, let's say you enjoy poetry and things like that, you might really enjoy this book. 
a final one. Uh, if you're listening to this over your Christmas holiday, A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. Oh my God, it is freaking exceptional. The writing, the beauty of that book, just so good. I love it. All right, so we're going to close this one out. We've been going now almost 40 minutes. I'm going to leave you with a chapter from my book, Masterpiece in Progress. Like I said, it is a daily guide to a life well-crafted. But before I do, I really want to thank you for listening all the way through. I mean, you're 40 minutes into this as well. And being a solid source of inspiration for new, it's when I hear from the listeners, the comments, the impact these podcasts have on your life. That's what matters. That's what lights me up inside. So if the work resonates, please check out my books, Masterpiece in Progress, and my second one, Insights of the Ages, and connect with me. Just head to whatgotyouthere.com. You can buy the books, uh, direct you to the correct links. I've got tons of articles up there. I've got 350 plus of these podcasts. I have a ton of other resources, like 50 plus books recaps. And if you're interested in working with me, you can find my contact there. And I gave that out earlier, Sean at whatgotyouthere.com. All right. Here is the chapter from my book, Masterpiece in Progress, A Daily Guide to a Life Well-Crafted, The Art of Scarred Hearts. There's an underlying assumption in our culture, a sort of unspoken rule that goes something like this. Life's supposed to be a constant stream of cloudless skies and sunny days. In the narrative we tell ourselves, our aim is to navigate through life untouched, unscathed, and unscarred. But one evening, as I was tracing the steps of my journey, A realization dawned upon me. To end this voyage with an untouched heart is not just impossible, it's undesirable. Our hearts, like a vast canvas, accumulate strokes of various colors as we live. Some strokes are vibrant and happy, while others are dark and melancholic. But they all come together to form the masterpiece that is our life. Consider this for a moment. Every person you've ever admired every inspiring biography you've ever read, and every story that made you sit up and think, they all come from scarred hearts. It's not the untouched hearts that inspire. It's the scarred ones. The ones that have seen the most, felt the most, and have been through the most, yet have emerged resilient. Now think about your favorite music, the kind that reaches right into the depths of your soul. More often than not, it comes from places of profound pain, love, hope, or despair. That song that gives you goosebumps, it's probably a product of a scarred heart. But why is it that we understand the value of these scars in art, music, and stories, yet try so hard to avoid them in our own lives? Being untouched is safe. Yes, it is. But it also means being untested, untried, and unproven. Scars, on the other hand, are a testament. They say, I've been through the battles of life, I've been touched deeply, and I've emerged, not unharmed, but definitely stronger. To love passionately, to engage deeply, to risk boldly, these all come with the promise of scars, but they also come with the promise of a life lived fully. As I often remind myself, the depth of your scars is directly proportional to the depth of your experiences. If I were to put my entire life on a timeline, The segments that stand out, the ones where I learned, grew, and evolved the most, were those where my heart got its scars. Be it a failed venture, a broken relationship, or moments of intense vulnerability, each scar is but a chapter in my book. So here's a thought I'd love for you to sit with. Embrace the inevitable scars on your heart. They're not just signs of pain, but badges of honor, signaling a heart that dared to touch, feel, and engage. 
And as we go through life, let's remember this essential truth. An untouched heart might never hurt, but it also never truly knows the boundless landscapes of love, loss, and life. It's in our scarred hearts that we find our stories, our songs, and our soul's symphony. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. I cannot wait to connect with you further in 2024. Have a great holiday and a great start to your new year. Once again, you can stay in touch with me and find out everything I'm doing at whatgotyouthere.com. Take care.